And so when we begin to study the Word of God and find the beautiful treasures that are hidden there, I think I think I commented on this last week a little bit, is that God's things aren't just laying on the ground where you pick them up. I mean, there's some, there's some study. Study to show yourself approved unto God. We're not, I don't think we're talking to ministry here. I think we're talking to the church. Is that we study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman, a workman. We are all workers together, right? Workmen that need not be ashamed. Being able to rightly divide the word of truth. And so God sent us down that path many, many, many years ago. And so sometimes I, I do... Um, I do speak with emotion. I, I feel like passion, I guess, mainly for me is just the passion of the truth of the Word of God. And so I've got something this morning that I've never preached on in a certain area. Part of it I have, but the Lord just kind of opened, opened uh, an area for me to look at. And, and so I'm going to share that with you today. And... Um, so you can walk away this morning and say, he said some things I've never heard before. I believe that's going to happen. So um, stay with us. You know, we can get in church, and but yet we're out there somewhere. You know, we're, we're, we're carrying on with our job, with our recreations, and don't focus on what God's trying to do. And so uh, I just ask you to focus this morning. We've been talking about those things that were prophetically uttered in the Old Testament that came to life in the New Testament, <clears throat> mainly staying in the book of Psalms with David. Over this process of the last, oh, about month and a half or so, I've really come to respect David as a prophet rather than a psalmist. He was a psalmist. But the words of the Psalms, I, I mean, wherever, however, he's receiving this. And, and, and let me say something about David, too, before we get started this morning. David was a young man out keeping his father's sheep, and there he played on his harp. I believe there he sang before the Lord, and so it started way back there when he was a young man. This is before he slew the, the giant, remember? He went and uh, slew the giant, but this is prior to that. And then I believe the whole time that he is being chased by Saul, Saul wants his life. There we find many of the Psalms are talking about they are threatening, threatening me, they are chasing me. Um, and so we know that period of time in his life, he was also writing psalms. But somehow, in the midst of all this writing of psalms, there's some things that came to him that were so prophetic. And we've talked about a number of those. And I want to talk about one more this morning. I don't know, next week, I, I, I think this is going to kind of finish. There, there are some other things that David said, but... The spirit of prophecy, and, and I want to, again, state this. The spirit of prophecy is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The spirit of prophecy is not about end times. I've had enough of that guessing. 
And all of you that were raised in church and you were little fellas and they were saying the Lord's coming and you're going out looking at the clouds and, and uh, you know, all of that going on. And I can remember as a kid, they said Henry Kissinger was, was the Antichrist. Well, poor guy, he just died the other day. You know, I grew up with that stuff. But that's not prophecy. The real prophecy of God is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we find David. I don't know where he gets it from, but he writes it down. These, these uh, maybe just call them blips, parts, pieces, things that he hears in his spirit. And that they are going to come to pass and be fulfilled in that one that he calls my Lord. And so again, I want to look at this one more time. Psalms, the 16th chapter, and the, um, the 10th verse. I just want to take this 10th verse. I've got so many Bibles up here, I can hardly keep them on the podium here. So, All right, um, 16 and 10. We've all heard this verse, quoted it many times. For that will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. And so Rodney was um, in the book of Acts the other day, and I thought, no, he's going to tear me up, but he didn't. So it's, it's Acts, the second chapter. And I want to go to Acts, the second chapter, because Peter, under inspirational preaching will bring this verse back to life. And so the second chapter of Acts, the uh, 25th verse, but God raised him up. He died, the Lord of glory, he died, but God raised him up, loosening the throes of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Not even possible that he should stay in the grave. Here we go. For David said as to him. So it's already spoken over him. David's already said. The prophet David. Here we go. I always foresaw the Lord before me because he is at my right and that I not be moved. For this reason my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad and my flesh also will dwell on hope because, because, because you will not leave my soul in Hades, in hell, nor will you give your Holy One to see corruption. I like this, this next verse, though. You revealed to me paths of life. You will fill me with joy with your face. What does King James say there? With thy countenance. So I just want to touch, before we start studying, I, I just want to touch on Hebrews, the end of the 11th chapter. I'm not going to read it, but all the 11th chapter is the, the uh, roll call of faith, the hall of faith, we'll call it, the men and women that went on. Finally, the writer says, the world wasn't even worthy of these people. But then right at the end, it says, 
these all, they died in the faith, not having obtained the promise. They talked about him. They prophesied about him. They lived their life with expectation toward him. But they died not having received, not having obtained the promise. What is the promise? Was it heaven? Is that the promise of the Christian? I mean, there is eternal life. Jesus said you have eternal life. But it's in Jesus Christ our Lord. The promise to them was Christ. And they didn't obtain it, but they died looking for it, hoping for it. Amen. Jesus, Lord, we just want to reveal as best as we can in this segment of Scripture what David said, Lord. And then what Peter repeated on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, Lord, and we just ask you that you would just touch it, move it in our hearts, stir our hearts in it. We pray in your name, Jesus. Everyone said amen. They all went to Sheol. Now, we have the New Testament. <coughs> we have the word hell. Hell is not a cuss word. Hell is a place. And, and I don't mean, you know, when people use the word hell, I, I really don't know what they mean. You know, what the? It's a place. It doesn't really make sense to say that. You know, would you say, what the Oklahoma are you doing? You know, it, it doesn't, you know, it's, it, it is a place. Sheol, out of the Old Testament, Sheol is the place. And I think we've done this before, but we need to talk about this again for this particular message. Is that we need this clear picture of Sheol. Um, there are two definite divisions of Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead. When you died, Old Testament time, you went to Sheol. No matter who you were, you died, you went to Sheol. Now, in Sheol, which was, as the Lord described it, in the heart of the earth. Now, I don't know exactly you know, what that means, but he went down before he went up. But in the heart of the earth was this place that God designed, and it was a holding place. Sheol is a holding place of the righteous and of the sinner, both, of the wicked and the righteous. There were two divisions. Sheol had the place called Tartarus. Tartarus is what we would consider to be the pits of hell. And so when we say hell on this side of the Old Testament, when we say hell on this side, we're thinking of just the one burning place of agony, right? That's what we think of hell. In the Old Testament, and it's, it, it's Tartarus. Tartarus is the place of the damned. Those that did not live righteously, did not expect the Lord, did not die in the faith, ended up in Sheol, Tartarus. But there also is another division of Sheol. 
And that's called paradise. So everyone that died went either to paradise or to Tartarus. Now, paradise is a place, and, 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 and so Jesus gave us one story about this, just one. He said there was a certain man who fared sumptuously every day in his life. And there was a beggar that sat at his gate. Now, faring sumptuously and begging have nothing to do with faith, okay? It just, that was the positions, and the Lord was trying to show the parity between this life and the next life is what he's trying to do. And so they both passed, and the rich man lifted up his eyes being in hell torment. He lifted up his eyes being in Tartarus, a division of Sheol. Now, they could see each other. They're, they're, they passed this off, and I said this last week, there, there have been preachers who said there is no hell. This, this is just a parable. But when Jesus said there was a certain man, I, I, I'm going to have to get away from parable. And he lifted up his eyes being in torment, but that beggar Lazarus found himself in the bosom of Abraham. That bosom of Abraham is what we call paradise. They can see between the two. They can converse between the two. So I don't know how close dimension they are. There's a great gulf fixed between them so that you could not pass one to the other. Now, if you don't believe that, and if you're, like I mentioned last week, one of the preachers who used to preach that, but then he decided there was no hell, and now he's dying, I hope he changes his mind. Because there is a heaven and there is a hell. And if you don't believe that, then you stand in the face of Jesus Christ and call him a liar. So we're not going to take that angle this morning. We're going to believe that what the Lord says is the truth. And so David in another place, he says, where shall I go from thy presence, Lord? Remember that? If I take the wings of the morning, if I go to the east or the west, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. However, I want to give you this one thought. Where shall I go from thy presence? I don't believe the presence of the Lord is felt in Tartarus. That's part of the agony. It's the absence from good, from God, from righteousness. Everything wicked, everything evil. Every foul spirit, every dirty, rotten, wicked, horrible thing that makes Hamas look like child's play is what you find in Tartarus. So David's not talking about if I make my bed in Tartarus, if I make my bed in Abraham's bosom, your presence is there. And so I'm just trying to make clear about, about Sheol. Yes, the presence of the Lord, I believe, is in paradise. I do not believe Tartarus has the presence of God in it at all. There have been some real foul doctrines made out of this verse, Psalm 1610. 
And uh, whether you like them or not, I'm going to, I'm just going to, these, these guys, when people take the mic and they publicly say things, I'm going to publicly, if we need to, I'm going to publicly repudiate it. Kenneth Copeland's got this doctrine, and, and it's from way back. He's not the one that invented it, but he uses it. You might, you know, I don't know if you like Kenneth Copeland or not. I don't. Think he's a charlatan. He's taken $750 million from the people of God. He believes that and teaches that Jesus went down from the cross to Tartarus and was in torment for three days until he was born again. I don't know if you know who Robin Bullock is. Robin Bullock's got it worse. Robin Bullock says this. Jesus lay face down in hell, being mocked. I heard him say this. Being mocked and tormented by demons as they rejoiced over him until the Holy Ghost went to hell and breathed in him the breath of life reenacting what God did in creation, breathing into Adam the breath of life. And then the man Christ Jesus came back to life in hell, conquered the devil, and ascended. I believe that's a bunch of hooey. No, I just, that's, that's, that's not accurate according to Scripture. And so they said it, and I just repeated it. And, you know, I don't know what else they're doing. You know, God, God be the judge of everything. But I'm, I'm judging this this morning because I do believe that, that this doctrine, and it's in the church, that Jesus had to go to hell for sin. I got a problem with that. I got a real big problem with that. Because I'll tell you something about Jesus. He didn't need to be saved. He is salvation. Well, he doesn't need to be saved. That, that's not the issue here. He didn't go to the cross so he could be saved. He went to the cross so that you and I could be saved. Because we were the ones lost in sin, not him. And he bore our sin on the cross. I do not agree with the translation, he became sin. He became sin sacrifice on the cross. He was nailed to the cross for us. Can you say Amen. Secondly, he didn't go to Tartarus because he told the male factor, the criminal on the cross beside him, today you shall be with me in where? Paradise, not Tartarus. Oh yeah, you will be with me in hell today, but hell, Sheol, paradise. You shall be with me in paradise today. Mm. I don't believe Jesus went to Tartarus at all. See, he didn't have to go there to conquer death and the grave and the devil. The devil's out here. He rose victorious, but it didn't have anything to do with laying face down in hell and the devil's mocking him. Next, Jesus' blood completely conquers sin. I was thinking about this the other day and, and just tears come to my eyes. 
Sin died where the blood fell. Nothing else is powerful enough to cleanse sin. There is, the scripture said, there's no fuller soap. We were sin stained, every one of us. All of us have come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's only one single thing that can wash the sin off your life. And it's not water baptism. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. That blood has the power to wash away my sin. And brother, we did them. And we were guilty. And we were wrong. And we were dirty. But thanks be unto God, the blood that was shed there was not just blood. That was precious blood, what Peter said. This precious blood, Acts 20, 28, the blood of God Himself was shed for you and I. And because of that precious blood, I stand here this morning, not clean on my own, not by my own works, not by my goodness, but because I have been washed in the blood that was shed on the cross. Of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? That is such a comfort. And I was thinking about this. You can't do a sin that's stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ. Boy, I hate it. And I was thinking about this. Hearing some of the reports from Hamas and, 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 and what they did and what they're doing. I would say these are the most wicked people on the face of the earth. I don't think you can get more wicked. But if one of them turns to Jesus Christ, that same blood is still flowing down dark Calvary. Can you say amen? Oh, he's looking for hearts that will turn to him. Thank you, Jesus. I like that, that, little, that little part of the song that the, the Henson sang. It was there. Sin's power over me was taken away. Happy day. I mean, in your sin and trespasses, you thought you were running your life, but sin was. But sin's power was taken away from us. And now we serve another Lord. Hallelujah. Let me say this, too, and, and always kind of got to throw this in because it doesn't make sense for me. <coughs> He didn't need a third God person to help him. Oh, he was just helpless in it. And, and, and then Holy Ghost said, no, 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 let's, let's, let's regroup this. John 10, 18, we'll regroup it in John 10, 18. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down from myself. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. So he doesn't need any help because he's not just another person that ends up in Sheol. He is the Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody happy? Say amen. Well, I love talking about the Lord this way. The prophet David saw a thing, and he would pass from this life. He was unsure of one issue. He knew where he would go. And that, this, is, this is good. I've sat by a lot of people that have died. And it's tough. It's tough to see someone pass, you know. Nobody wants to pass. Nobody is looking forward. Oh, boy, today I get to die. I mean, 
it's, there's something in us that wants to live. And I have been in the room several times where people took their last breath. And it's not easy to make that pass over there. But there is one thing guaranteed. We all are going to do that. Unless God ends this thing, you know, in our lifetime. Which that's possible. Okay. But, you know, I kind of hope for that. But you're going to die anyway. Because your corruptible must put on incorruption and, and be changed. But anyway. So David knows that he's going to die but he knows also that he's going to a place where God's going to keep him. And this is good. Because sometimes, I, and I've had to pray with people and say, man, I just want to make sure, you know, that before I pass, you know, and, and that's okay. That's okay. We're human beings, right? We're like, I just want to know, you know, I'm going in, in, into the presence of the Lord. And the only thing I can do is say, that's what Jesus said. You die in him. You're Absent from the body, you're present with the Lord, right? And, and so, uh, but David, he sees, okay, I'm leaving. I'm going to be held in a place called Sheol. And, but I don't know how long that's going to be. But I'm just going to put my faith and trust in the Lord. And so I want to look at this declaration that he made prophetically. You will not leave my soul in Sheol. Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Now, I want you to know there's two statements here, not one. And I think a lot of people have combined this together and tried to figure this out. How can I figure this out? Um, does, is it just the Lord? Is it just David? There's people that believe that it's just talking about David. And there's others that believe it's just talking about the Lord. Well, there's one statement, and it's talking about each one of them. There are actually two statements within this one verse, rather. Thou will not leave. What's the next word? My. So David talking about himself. Thou will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. So in these two statements, they really, they really become one single event. So what's going to happen at the same time he's not going to leave his soul in hell? He's not going to let the Holy One suffer corruption. It's, it's actually one event and not two. And, but I like this is that, um, oh, let me say this. The, the statements predict one single event, all right? They're conjoined. When one occurs, the other's going to occur. It's, it's just a prophetic word. When one occurs, the other's going to occur too. And so in Acts, Peter says, by the Spirit, he's adding David's words. We didn't find it right there in 1610, but he said, You will fill me with joy with your, King James said, countenance. But this is right after he said, You will not leave my soul in Sheol. And you will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption, but you will fill me with joy. With your countenance, and the Greek word there is prosopon, which means the person, not just the face. A lot of times it's interpreted in, in the English rendering as your face, but it really, prosopon is your person. Now we have a whole nother spin on this. 
that when this event happens, not only is he not going to leave David's soul in Sheol, but he's going to appear there in person. Oh, yeah. If you take these scriptures and combine them together, he's going to appear there in person. And this, boy, this is, this is where I love this. This is where I love this. David basically is saying, I'm going to lay down my head trusting in Yahweh. And I'm going to stay in the holding place in Sheol until such time as he appears there to take me out of that place. Because David said, you won't leave my soul there. So he's not planning on being there for eternity. He's planning on being there until the Lord shows up to take him out of there. I mean, the revelation that David has is just greater than most of the New Testament uh, preachers and pastors and scholars. David sees the resurrection happening. And he begins to see how it's going to happen and who it happens around about. I'm going to rejoice with joy, he says. I'm going to, I'm going to be in Sheol, but there's going to come a day that I'm going to rejoice with a joy because you're going to show up. Wow. Everybody say amen. Are you following me so far? It gets better. All right, hang on. It gets better. And so I believe we can take that little, little piece of Scripture that that talks about us and the last day and the last resurrection and says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. I believe David could put that right at the end of, you will show up and I will get joy in your countenance and so shall I ever be with him. See, they're waiting in Sheol. They're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. They don't know how long. So I want to talk about these three days. It's always been intriguing to me is the three days. Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the great fish. Amen, everybody? So shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Now, you're going to have to help me with Catholic math. I'm no good with Catholic mathematics because Catholic mathematics says that he died in the evening on Friday and that he was gone on Sunday morning. Wow. Okay, let's see how that works. Okay, so he died in the evening, so we have Friday night, Saturday night. That's only two. We got to get it three days in there, so he died in the evening, so we go through the night. We have Saturday. We only have one. So I guess you could add the two nights and the one day and say we got three. See, the Catholic Church was the forerunner of common core math. See, it doesn't work. There is no way that you can put him in the grave on Friday evening and get him out of there before the sun rises on Sunday morning and have three days and three nights. Just not going to happen. So I just, just wanted to throw that in there kind of for free. <laughs> but let's consider these three days and three nights. 
what really was the possible reasons for three days and three nights. And, and I've thought about this, and so um, I want to expand you, let you think about it a little bit. Why three? Why not one? Why not? Well, I think there's some reasons that we can look at, okay? Let's look at a couple of reasons. One of them might be the sign of Jonah. See, he has to fulfill every jot and every tittle of the Old Testament. And Jesus said himself, the sign of Jonah. So as Jonah was three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be. And so that's not going to change. It doesn't matter what your theology is. It doesn't matter what your holiday is. See, that's all about Easter. Easter's messed up anyway. It's not Christian holiday. Easter, the word Easter, pagan. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Passover. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not, anyway, I've got to let go of that right now. So that's one thought. Here's another thought. Here's another thought. Okay, come, come with me on this for a minute. Three days, he's in the tomb. He arises. Forty days, he shows himself with infallible proofs that he has risen from the dead, he is alive. That's the first chapter of Acts, 40 days. Now, how many days do we have? 43, and we're going to 50, right? Pentecost. We're going to 50. That leaves how many days for the upper room, for them waiting for him? Seven. You can take sevens all through the Bible. You're going to find that seven was the days of creation. I'm going to tell you what, God built himself a church. And he breathed into it the breath of life on the seventh day. I mean, there's, there's some numerology there that you just go, wow. I guess the Lord knows what he's doing, right? So, so that's, that's, that's one consideration. I'll give you another one. Corruption. You will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. <clears throat> he cannot come up come out after four days. Remember Lazarus? And Jesus goes to the tomb, and Mary and Martha, and, 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 and Mary tells, tells Jesus, uh, Martha, I don't know which one it was, but out, went out first, and Jesus said, where's, where's he at? And they showed him where he was, and they said, roll away the stone. They said, he stinks. And the scripture clearly says it was the fourth day. So medically, let me tell you this. Rigor mortis sets into a dead body within two to eight hours. And it will remain in the body and begin to dissipate up to 72 hours, which is three days. You know what happens after that? The body begins to decay, called corruption. You will not suffer the Holy One to see corruption. See, he's still laying in that. His physical body is still laying in the tomb. But David said, oh, this thing's going to happen. There's, there's this event that's going to happen. And, and, it's, and, it, and it's called, you will not leave me in Sheol, and you will not suffer the Holy One to see corruption. And so he's got to come out of the grave before three days are over. Can you say amen? So I, I want to look at 
just the scriptural rendering of these three days for just a minute. And I've thought about this. How many of you have ever thought about what happened during those three days that Jesus was gone? Anybody else? Yeah, there's some people, yeah. You know, inquiry minds want to know, right? And so this, this, this idea of three days, it just, okay, what's that about? Well, we have some little insight into, um, and there's some scriptures, that Luke 23, 43, and uh, Ephesians 4, 8, and 9, and then 1 Peter 3, 19, and then Psalm 24, 7. Accumulation of these scriptures just gives us a little insight. Peter said he was preaching to those in prison. I would say that Sheol, even though it wasn't a place of torment for them, paradise, they were in prison. In Ephesians, Paul said, Paul said that before he ascended up, he went down. And what did he do there? He led captivity. Captive, in other words, he led them out of that place. David knew it. And Paul verifies it. That's exactly what happened, David. You were right. He would not leave your soul there in Sheol. And so when I think about, you know, kind of the accumulation of, of Scripture, it doesn't give us too much. But we do understand that there was a purpose for him being there. So here's kind of the events on how they, how the Lord got there. He died. An earthquake broke the tombs open. Remember, there was an earthquake when he died, right? The centurion now saw the earthquake, and the graves were open. Three days later, his stone was rolled away of his tomb, and Yeshua, our Lord, our Master, our Savior, he rose from the dead. Then, saints were raised from the dead, and both Jesus and the scripture says, many, this is in the book of Matthew, I believe 27th chapter, many of the saints appeared walking in the holy city. So, okay. I've got some conjecture, and I don't normally do this, so I try and stay completely in scripture, but there is no scripture telling us exactly. So I'm going to give you some conjecture. I'll give you some thought. Is that Okay. Everybody okay with that? Say amen. So I want to give you some thought about these three days. As the sun was going down in Jerusalem, there came a cry at the everlasting gates. Lift up your head, O ye gates, you everlasting doors, and a king of glory will come in. And somebody said, who is the king of glory? And the answer came back, the Lord, strong and mighty, El Gabor. What Isaiah said in the ninth chapter, the mighty God, El Gabor. And again, the cry goes out, lift up your heads, O ye gates and your everlasting doors, and the king of glory will come in. And I think this is speaking of paradise. He's there now, and he's ready to come in. Lift up the gates. Let him in, and the king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? Oh, he's the, he's the Lord of hosts. 
See, David said he's going to make a personal appearance. And this is exactly what happened. So day one, instant one, when he dies on instant one, he appears there and as he told the, the, uh, the man that was dying with him, the criminal, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so Jesus does appear there and I believe he comes in now. He walks in in person into the place of the holding of the souls that have gone on in the faith. And shortly thereafter, that criminal that was on the cross with him, he appears also at the gate of paradise. And he can only get in, not because of his righteousness, not because he was a good man, not because he was looking forward to something and didn't obtain it, but he's coming in because Jesus had given him the right to come in. Thank God we're in, not because of our goodness, but Jesus said, you'll be with me. And this man was with him in paradise. And now, and now, Jesus began to preach to those who were in paradise. I want you to know something. Take, take note of this. Paul said God has torn down the wall of partition between the old and the new. There is not one person in the kingdom that doesn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There isn't any. Doesn't matter if you were in an old covenant or born in the new covenant. There is just one salvation. Everybody say amen. There is just one Lord over all the kingdom. And so we don't have a division between Jews and remember Paul said he has broke down all division between Jew and Gentile between male and female between bond and free there's just one church one people one set of believers there is just one kingdom and that kingdom is those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and so all of those who are in prison who are in Sheol paradise of Sheol to get into the kingdom of God They've been waiting. They've been watching. They're going to have to believe on Him. So He begins to preach. Wow. <coughs> what does He preach? Well, He can start anywhere. He can start with Abraham's seed. Abraham's there. He could start with Abraham's seed. Not many Abraham, but one seed. He could talk about Moses and the rock that followed them through the wilderness. Or he could talk about many issues, but they're all going to come. He could talk about David's, my Lord. He could talk about Isaiah's child to be born, son to be given by a virgin. He can talk about John the Baptist. Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And I believe as he's preaching to them from any subject of an Old Testament, any prophet of an Old Testament, then he begins to stand up and say, I am. I am the one who was and is and is to come. I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. Just like he did on the outside world, I believe in the underworld. He's preaching to them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes pros tom patera if not through of me. I am the door. Can you say amen? I am the one to come. I am the only begotten of the Father. I am Emmanuel, God with us. I'm the one that you are looking for. I am the light of the world. I am the author and the finisher of the faith. And for all of you that are out here uh, this morning in Sheol, I want to give you the most expedient news for you. I am the resurrection and the life. And they begin to believe on him. Not believing in an Old Testament anymore. Not believing for things that might come. But now they've seen him. Now they've heard him. Now they have a chance to believe on him. Hallelujah. That's some awesome stuff. Can you say amen? And, and, and so the Lord brings me to this thought. They're not done yet, even though they have believed on him. We're still in three days. I don't know how long he preached. He might have preached the whole day. He could have preached the whole three days. But he definitely preached to them. And now, can you imagine the backslapping that's going on now? Isaiah slapped. I told you. I told you. John the Baptist said, that's him. I witnessed of him and, and they took my life. But, but that was him. He's the one that takes away the sin. They are rejoicing. They are now discussing. I believe they're discussing all of the Old Testament like Jesus did with the two men on the road to Emmaus. And he talked to them beginning at Moses. And they begin to go through. And they're saying, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. Hey, Adam, it makes sense what happened. You fell. But, but Adam, look at what happened now. Your seed has come down all the way through here. And now here he is. And he is the blessed one. He's the one whose scepter will not leave his hand. Come on, Judah, here he is. Isaac, here he is. Listen, all of the saints, here, this is the one. And they begin to rejoice in this place called paradise because he's here. He has come. He had last all of these years, all these thousands of years. They have waited. And he's here. Reminds me of the church a little. 2,000 years we've preached he's coming back and we're waiting but he will show up can you say amen and what a day of rejoicing that will be whoa it all makes sense now all the old saints of old it makes sense for him now they didn't understand it. They didn't have it all figured out, but they died not knowing. They hadn't obtained it, but now he walked through the gate and he changed everything for them. But now, now there is a preparation for an exodus. 
So we're still in three days. Everybody with me? Say amen. So now there's this exodus that they have to prepare for. They're not staying there. David said, you won't leave my soul here. So the Lord didn't come there and leave and see you all later. No, that's not how it worked. He's going to rise again. And he's bringing them with him. Because see, they're not in an old covenant anymore. They're in a New Testament now. And so this most interesting thing that I've thought about all my life, I didn't understand it, but this most interesting thing that Matthew said, the graves were broke open. And many, not all, many of the saints were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. I guess if I feel like that the beggar that was there in paradise could feel and see and sense and know and the rich man who was in Tartarus in flames of torment could know then I believe the reality is that Jesus speaking to them was as real as me speaking to you this morning. And they knew. He says, we're leaving this place. Now, I'm going to use conjecture now. We're leaving this place, but you're going with me. But some of you I have chosen, and I got to watch it here because I just watched A.A. Allen. A.A. Allen said, if God heals one, he has to heal all. Baloney. He chose three to go with him and left the other nine back there to pray. But he, he can choose whatever he wants. I, I don't want to go there very far, but, but the Lord can choose and do what he wants, right? He chooses some, many of the saints. We're seeing walking in the streets. Now, I'm going to qualify this because this is what I believe. I don't believe these were saints that were modern saints. I believe these were men of ancient time. Because they would have recognized those that had come out of the grave and it would have blown the city away. There's no record of them making any acknowledgement of these people. Because when they came out, nobody knew David. They didn't have any pictures. You know, where's my cell phone? I got, oh, that's David, see? They didn't have any statues. They didn't have any way to know what David looked like. They didn't know what Abraham looked like. So God chooses some guys that are going to come out of the grave and walk in the city of Jerusalem. I'm almost done, so I've got to share this last part here. So I'm going to give you what I think. I'm guessing it was the ancients who died prophesying of Christ and never found it. I, I do think it was some men like Abraham and Moses and David and Samuel and Elijah and Elisha and Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Ruth, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. I believe these were the guys that Jesus said, I'm going to leave. I'm going back through the grave. He came out of the grave. Can you say amen? They rolled the stone back. He came out of the grave. Well, they roll it back and he wasn't there, but he walked out of the grave. His saints are going to walk out of graves. And these which he has chosen 
are going to see natural Jerusalem at its height, at its peak, what it had got to. Abraham, last time you were here, you were at Mount Moriah, but there wasn't anything here. Look at it now. David, you didn't get to build the temple. Your son Solomon did, and they tore it down. But look at what Herod did. He built it back up. Beautiful, but there will not be one stone left upon another. On the way to glory, I'm going to let you stop by and see Jerusalem, Isaiah. Hey, listen, Ezra, Nehemiah, I know that you built it up. I know that you put the bricks one upon another, but I want to show you what it came out to be and what it looks like right now. And those men, whoever God chose, they got to come up out of the grave and they walked in that city of Jerusalem one time because in 40 years... It's going to be completely destroyed and never resurrected to its glory again. That's why it was called the holy city. That's where Jesus came to. But we can't leave it there because there's a transfer in the exodus. They came to the new Jerusalem. I'm not going to get into this either. I don't believe the new Jerusalem is something that's going to set up headquarters on earth. Peter said the earth is going to burn with fervent heat and the sky, the sky is going to roll back like a scroll and burn. But the new Jerusalem, listen, I think it's more than just a physical city. Can you say amen? They are enjoined in the new Jerusalem. And this is, this is what the writer in Hebrews said. It's the city of the living God. The general assembly, the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven. That is the new Jerusalem that they signed up for. Not the Jerusalem that they would see on their way from resurrection. But they came to a new Jerusalem where their name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. So right beside us this morning, beside our names, is the name of Abraham. Right beside us is the name of the prophet David. Right beside us this morning is all those ancients that have gone on. And now they also belong to the church of the firstborn. That's you. That's I. We are blood-bought. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So are they. We are born-again followers of Jesus Christ. So are they. For David, hope of resurrection hung on a prophetic word. You will not leave my soul in hell or suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Can you say amen? Let's stand together. God bless you. I hope that something has just touched you. And it might just have been to search it out yourself. It might just be, wow, I never thought of that. And you go home from here and you, you begin to think on some of these things and, and allow the Spirit of God to reconfirm in your heart. Hallelujah. I'm glad there's just one church. Can you say amen? I don't like this division. Some people are wanting to go back and worship. Back. I'm not going backwards. I'm going forward. I'm going to a resurrection in Christ Jesus. I'm not, I'm not going back to, to a Davidic worship back there. David had a good time, but he was looking for something better. Abraham was looking for what? A city whose builder and maker was God. Not men. He finally found it. Hallelujah. He didn't find it in this world, but he found it in the afterworld in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word this morning. I just pray that it just falls on our heart. It begins to just blossom and bloom inside of us, Lord. 
great revelation of who you are and what you've done. And we thank you, Lord. Can everyone say amen? Amen. Bless our food, Lord, and our fellowship in this time together. We pray in your name. Amen.